0: listening to the small town queer podcast produced by tweed regional museum in northern new south wales australia follow us as we uncover and explore tweed's rich queer history from the early 1900s to the present the museum has collaborated with lgbtqia community members to collect share and preserve the histories of tweed's many and varied queer voices We wish to recognise the generations of local Aboriginal people of the Bundjalung Nation who are the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which we are recording this podcast today. My name is Emma Shield. And my name is Erica Taylor. And we are the curators of the Small Town Queer Digital Project and Exhibition. Hello. On today's podcast, we're talking with Leonie Dickinson. Leonie works in vocational education and training, dividing her time between the Tweed and the Northern Territory, where she specializes in working with Aboriginal people from remote communities. Before moving to the Tweed Coast from Melbourne in 2004, Leonie studied at the Australian Film, Television and Radio School in the late 1980s. Leonie became a film director and digital content producer and was the first female in the audio department at Channel 7 in Melbourne. In 2017, Leone created an inclusive online community for lesbian and dark campers, which currently boasts almost 2,500 members. Welcome, Leone. Thank you for joining us. We're starting our podcast series by asking all of our participants, how do you identify as a small town queer?
1: Um... Well, on two levels there. <laughs> one, one is that I identify as a lesbian, um, but I also strongly identify as a, a small-town um, survivor. Growing up in a small town in rural Victoria, I always knew that I was different, mm. but I didn't have any models, role models, to tell me what that difference was. I thought I was just a tomboy. And then years later, I discovered a soft bush.
0: And did you discover that by leaving a small town and going to move somewhere else? Um, look, I, I I can't remember what I came across, but
1: at 12 years old I actually came out at school and um, the girls who i the kids I'd gone to school with all reacted with a distance and I thought, ooh, I've done the wrong thing. And so I immediately... Jump back into the closet. Uh-huh. Um, and then, you know, uni was basically a safe place, you know, 10, ten years later. Um, we're, you know, we were all discussing things and where it was philosophically open, and, you know, we were the hippie, you know, last of the era of the 70s. Oh. The, the lesbian movement scared the hell out of me at first because it was. Um, in the late 70s it was still strongly separatist and I have 10 brothers and so it was I just thought oh you know I'm not about to cut out all of my siblings here um, so look I think and, and I think I was a bit late for Aquarius festival as well so I'm sure it had some impact you know in a trickle-down effect uh, but I, I was post that really and, and you know I was just post women's lib stuff but it was I think it was probably more feminism that drew me to lesbianism um, and that there were basically you know some lesbians around me at uni.
0: Did you ever feel pressure to be part of the separatist movement? Um, Which was a strong movement within feminism as well too so. Yeah.
1: I didn't feel pressured to no. uh, become part of the separatist movement, although my first girlfriend and I, we identified strongly as not being separatists, and we took quite a few years to find each other. I, I was a late, late starter with relationships, I wasn't in a relationship until I was 24, even though I'd identified as a lesbian for no. three or four years. What attracted you
0: to the point where you decided to actually move here?
1: I think the natural beauty of the Northern Rivers has always been the magnet. You know, you've got beaches and hinterland. And you, you couple that with it was the largest gay and lesbian um, community outside of Sydney or you know Melbourne, outside of any city. And and then for me it simply became that the internet's even though it was ADSL, you know, um became usable from a distance. So I was able to um sit in a in a home office writing scripts and then, you know, putting in funding applications from a little regional hub, really. And and screenworks had just started in Byron Bay and it was a brilliant resource and there, there were a few of us that made the move out of Sydney or Melbourne.
0: What kind of work were you doing in the Northern Rivers at that point?
1: In, in the early days of moving up, um, I was still aspirational to direct films. I'd, you know, I'd made a living as a sound recordist for 15 years and um, had sold some films to ABC and SBS as a director. Um, but it was I wanted writing time so I kind of got stuck into that and then very fortunately because every man and their dog wants to be a filmmaker Mm -hmm. and a director, um, fortunately for me I got into teaching and um, I started teaching filmmaking and I commuted
0: (laughs) from from Byron Bay to Grafton for seven years. <laughs> That's a long way for our listeners that aren't aware of that particular trek. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so it
1: was a, a two-hour drive for work and I used to stay down there two or three nights a week and taught to at Grafton Tape very happily for a, a number of years, part-time, whilst I was still writing my scripts and putting in my funding applications.
0: And what were the themes that you were wanting to write about or explore in your writing and documentary filmmaking? Comedy documentaries is my theme um, so
1: I'm always you know looking for the ordinary and you know try, trying to find a twist on it in the last few years I've got into management in education so um, that kind of uh, and and I also as a sound reporter so I specialized in working in Aboriginal communities and I did that I've worked with Aboriginal communities. Um, mostly in central Australia and pop in over a 30 year period. And so, culture and ceremony and things like that have been really important in my work. So, now I, I've, I've semi retired. Camping and, um, rest and relax, relaxation has taken on a bigger passion. I'm still doing some teaching because I love the face to face relationship. But um, watch this space for Van Dykes. I'm I'm open. I've just started to think about will I go down the road of you know some formal documentary idea? About
0: I think um, I think you're onto something there because maybe for people that aren't familiar with Van Dykes, and I'll ask you to introduce the listeners to the group. It's a very interesting story and we explore a little bit of it in an article that we've written about women's only. And it as Leone says, it's not a separatist group, but you there is a little bit of a criteria for joining and some expectations about, you know, what the content is that's discussed. It's a Facebook group, but people meet up all the time as individual um, travelling companions, but also you organise a few events and we'll talk a little bit about that. So, since can you tell us about Van Dykes? How, what was the impetus of for it? The,
1: the impetus for Van Dykes grew out of um, Melbourne Cup Day about four years ago. Having grown up in Victoria and lived in Melbourne, um, it was a public holiday and I found myself working. I thought, stuff this. <laughs> I, used to, I used to hang with a group of artists by the Maribyrnong River and we used to watch all the rich people come back in their wealthy boats getting booked by the water police on <laughs> Melbourne Cup Day. And that was our entertainment. I just thought, I need to hang with a bunch of people on Melbourne Cup Day. And I thought, who do I most want to hang with? Well, it was well, a bunch of those what as well, what most in common with. And so it was a very simple thing. I'd just driven back from Alice Springs yet again back to the East Coast and along the way I'd met a couple of older lesbians. We were in another camping group that had kind of gone pear-shaped. It was a women-only camping group. It was on Facebook. And I just thought, I think there's a need here. And, And more so, I'm looking for a gang. So I thought, I'll just start my own group.
0: Um, We have another one of our participants that we interviewed, uh, he described moving to the Northern Rivers as he's sort of finding his spiritual tribe. And I wonder if Van Dykes is a bit like a tribe. Yeah, Van Van Dykes. Van Dykes is definitely
1: a tribe. It's a very diverse tribe. What surprises me is that I think I've been um, in a safe house for a long time. Of hanging out with mostly left wing feminists. Mm -hmm. Van Dyke's got some, has has got some right wing women in there that um, I kind of, I can't relate to politically. But it's it's an apolitical space and it's about the love for camping and caravanning and open space. Um, So that kind of, that keeps a lid on anything that, is a ripple so it's it's pretty easily um, quilled if there's any issues.
0: So what is the criteria for joining Van Dykes like how do you I mean it's a Facebook group but you don't necessarily know to look for it so it's possible you've heard uh, through word of mouth on a camping trip or through your other lesbian networks of this group so how do you find the group how do you join what's the criteria?
1: it's it's um facebook forward slash group forward slash Van Dyke life which is a pun on van life um it it, it still keeps being spread through word of mouth it's, it's it, in fact it's all been word of mouth I had the article in um out in Perth and small town queer is the only publicity as such we've ever had everything else is word of mouth but you also organise a big camp once or twice a year as well. So Yeah, so we we camp, um, we were camping. Our first three camps were at Kurindi. So this is the annual camp. And this year we've moved to Red Rock, which is just 14 kilometres up the road because um, we kept commuting anyway from Kurindi to Red Rock to kayak all day because that's all we do. We just sit by the water and we laugh and we tell stories and, play cards and kayak and then we sit by the water and we laugh and we tell stories and then we kayak again, you know. So it's really, it's very low-key. But that annual gathering I think has been a bit of the glue because we have women who come up from Melbourne and who come down from Queensland and, you know, um, obviously New South Wales. But we we congregate and it's just getting bigger and bigger. in the first 12 months, we also did a a trip over to Nannup in southern Western Australia. And we had about, I think there were about 60 women that came along to that. I can't remember the numbers now. I could be exaggerating. Um, but, you know, it's with COVID, it's, it's been a bit tricky. But my intention is to try and do something in each stage for the next few years. That, you know, it's not and just... There's-
0: there's the, the gathering online as well too. Um, you've got a lot of visual storytellers, people who are documenting their travels as well as potentially offering advice. Um, some of the images are really beautiful, um, and maybe for those people who haven't yet got their camp set up, organized or they're uh, researching what kind of van they want, it's very inspirational. And then to be able to find all these women online and then come together. Physically, it must be just an amazing experience and probably very reassuring for women that maybe have come out later in life or are still in the questioning phase or just really are very isolated otherwise in their real life.
1: Yeah, look, I I think there's kind of three themes there, which is that it reduces isolation. It's also empowering because we've got some incredibly capable women who help each other with all kinds of information, you know. Like I was asking some information about solar power before Christmas. You know, it's hive mind stuff that gets in there, and then it's it's the community when you do get together. So there's online community mm-hmm. that you know, for me has been so important because I spend so much of my working life in the territory. Um, and where I seriously am the only guy in the village no joke mm. you know and and here I can get online and I've got a bunch of bunch of dags bunch of dykes to have a few jokes with and maybe a few debates <laughs> you have to moderate yeah. sometimes <laughs> yeah I, I, don't, I don't mind the moderating yeah. you know i mean sometimes i'll i'll let things run If if there's something of dissent, that's you know, that's got that's polite, and we're educating each other, that's okay. I'll kind of let it run. It's a bit of a rare beast, um, but when it does happen and it's and it's polite, I think that's good for us all to feel our diversity, to know our diversity. We're not
0: just left wing, you know. It's That's a very good point. I think in the virtual realm, you can certainly find yourself in an echo chamber. Um, Certainly the left is accused of that all the time. And you're right, my experience of um, reading some of the debates, conversations or discussions on the Van Dyke's Facebook page is that there is a very diverse set of views. And it's wrong for people to assume that purely because you're a lesbian and you live maybe in a certain place, you're going to have this set of values or political beliefs and they definitely play out virtually. So it is great because you are exposed to other ideas and for the most part people are pretty, uh, I think, um, respectful in the way that they convey those ideas. I don't see too many people trying to cancel or um, abuse someone in return And, and as a result, I don't think you do have to step in too much. People yeah. are pretty self-moderating for the most part, aren't they? Yeah, I think people are,
1: are pretty um, self-moderating. And, in fact, more likely the comment is that they're drawn and want to be in Van Dykes because that stuff isn't there, oh. that, it, that it's a positive, feel-good group. They can, they can find their echo chamber in plenty of other groups uh, on Facebook, whereas Van Dykes is known as the friendly, welcoming group.
0: A lot of lesbian spaces uh, no longer exist, the physical ones I'm talking about, whether they be bars or whatever meeting place that, um, that women tend to, lesbian women have traditionally congregated in. So I think the virtual realm is incredibly important, the lack of those spaces, particularly in regional Australia. So I think it has a lot of value in in that respect as well too because you can join a group like van dykes so yes it is about camping but you get as you say so much more from it you might not even be ready to camp but you've had a love of camping or you used to camp when you're a child so you're right it has these sort of these it's almost like a twofold effect you're there and you're getting lots of great information about camping and about australia too but also you're finding a community within a community in a way Look, we really are a bunch of Van Dykes.
1: You know, like <laughs> that needs to be the the next T-shirt. I think <laughs> you, you hang out on a, on a weekend with Van Dykes, and it's like a group of Cockney men. You know, the the <laughs> level of innuendo and kind of sexual jokes that would not pass muster anywhere else. In Van Dykes, they're known as just being it's, being, it's kind of safe and daggy and stupid. And you're laughing at the cultural norm that's out there.
0: I also think the great thing about meeting up with um, other Van Dyke travellers on the road or going to one of the events that you organise is it's so great for single or soul women who maybe are frightened to get out there and camp on their own understandably there you know there are legitimate reasons why it's unsafe for women to be uh, camping alone however there some great advice and there's always seems to be somebody saying hey are you in this area is someone in you know are you I'm heading in this direction what's your advice or do you want to meet up so my question is why is it really important for particularly uh, women on their own to camp and how is Van Dyke's um, able to facilitate that. Look, the the exact reason why I
1: started Bandbox was for single, solo, travelling women like me. Um, I wasn't interested in a dating group, you know. If somebody turned up, yeah, great. But, you know, I'm, I've been virtually, mostly single for a seven-year period and I'm after community. You know, I want a group that I can hang out with. I'm not hankering to meet Ms. Wright. You know, I, I want the gang that I can, you know, go kayaking with yep. on the weekend. That, but that I can also be traveling from Cairns or Townsville down to, um, back to Byron or Pottsville and hoping that I'll bump into somebody on the way because part of, Part of the caravan park experience can be very isolating. If you're a serious traveller, there's this six o'clock swill, as I call it, that that happens that's full of couples that they're they're quite friendly but often got very little in common with them. Um, And it's a bit kind of bloke's world as well. And as a 60-year-old woman, I just kind of go... I don't want to be told how to fix my battery, thank you very much. You know, I'll I'll ask a Van Dyke. You know, in, in truth the um there's there's a broad demographic within Van Dyke's. So like if I actually do a, a search on it, um the age range is broad. How however it's it's the um the vocal majority are women over fifty five. And um I think we've been looking for something to belong to again for a long time. We were the women who had women's dances in the 80s. Those were our social gatherings. You know, there was, that they were charity events that, you know, were it to be a women's band, live band playing. Um and we would there would be, you know, two hundred women that would turn up to Paddo Town Hall or Northcote Town Hall in Melbourne, wherever it was. Um and they were great gatherings and I think we're just looking for something similar. And it's low key again, it's it's a broad um basis in which to gather. You know, that, those women's um, dances were largely put on by the feminists, but the sporty dykes would turn up and the bar dykes would turn up, and you know, the women with no politics at all would turn up, and we'd all be together. So, I think it's it's a similar thing, I th- and I think that's why Van Dykes works. Oh, you that. Know, and then, that, then it was about the music or the gathering or the fun. This is it's the same
0: tone when you go. When you walk up to an annual Van Dyke's camp, and I'm assuming you kind of take over the park. You probably have the majority of the, the, the spots. What kind of reaction do you get from maybe people who aren't part of the Van Dyke's camp but are holidaying in the area? To, to be honest with you, when we
1: as a, as a big group, as the annual gathering, turn up and take over Karindi or Red Rock or wherever, I don't notice the other people that much. I'm so busy hanging with the lesbians that it's like this is my world, you know. So I don't notice those people much. However, when I do, I notice the blokes are mostly bemused and that at a loss as to what their function might be wow. in this world. And the women in the toilets really curious. <laughs> <laughs> There's conversations that happen in the toilets where the women are kind of asking questions and, and they say things like, you know, that, that really daggy phrase, which is, you know, oh well, some of my best friends are gay, you know, <laughs> so like, they will drop that into conversation. The truth is, it's a really different world, yeah. you know. People know now that people are more accepting, but also that if they, if they're not so accepting... They know that that's not appropriate, so they don't show it, you know. So we, you know, we are so much safer in the world than what we were twenty years ago. Mm. So it's, you know, thank God, really, yeah. thank God, bloody Australia moved on.
0: I, I, I often try to think about um, what a young queer person is thinking or imagining when they're. Reading the small town queer exhibition website, or they just happen to be holidaying with their family near a Van Dyke's camp, and wondering oh, who are all these women and what's going. On? You know that visibility is probably very reassuring, even if they themselves aren't really sure of their own identity. Um, there is a real lack of lesbian culture in mainstream media. It's to this date, you know, you really just don't see too many lesbian characters. So it's hard to look at mainstream media to get some reassurance about who you are or to see the diversity within the lesbian community. So I feel like online communities are a great place to meet people who might be like you, to get a better sense of who you are. Do you find that there are women joining Van Dykes who are going through that at some point in their life? They're questioning or they're finally out of the marriage that they got into very young and, you know, obviously it hasn't worked out. Do you meet women like that very often? Or is that maybe too personal a conversation for a Van Dykes? No, no,
1: it's not too personal, no. Um, How I relate to that is that as a a child, my family, we would go to Melbourne and we would go to South Melbourne Beach and I can remember my mum had this thing that she had gay far superior to anyone I know. And she would, she'd kind of call me close and she'd point out a group of women that often had short hair um, sitting together, maybe half a dozen of them, and she used to come and she'd whisper in my ear and she'd say, look at those women up there, I reckon they're a group of nuns. <laughs> so that, that was so <laughs> <the> many things. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, Lesbian nuts, You know, mm. but, you know, She she had no idea that she was oh. looking at a group of lesbians, possibly oh. not a, you know. Oh. And and you just think, you know, what glasses do you wear in the world? That I mean, yeah. what lens do you wear in the world? In yeah. what you see, you know, and what you're hunting for. You know, I was I was hungry to find some of those references. Why is it important to you to collect and preserve queer history, but particularly local or regional queer history and objects? Look, I, I haven't thought greatly about it, but recently, um, recently I was on a um, an online forum, and I just made the quote. Subvert the dominant paradigm, and um, and I thought people don't know what that is. But in the late eighties, late nineties, that was a sticker we all had on our car, and um, you know, if you were left wing, that was that was your sticker, you know. Uh, so, um, but yeah, to feel that I'm contributing to. Look, I just wanted a community to now know that that community is really providing a, a service, um, particularly to older women in the community in decreasing isolation. I feel so happy, you know. I just feel like, wow, how good is this? You know, it's a really simple thing and um, it, it makes me feel part of something. So to, to feel that other women might get that feeling, I just go, great.
0: Thank you for listening to the Small Town Queer Podcast. To hear more Small Town Queer stories, subscribe to the series and like, share and review this episode. And check out the Small Town Queer playlist on Spotify, curated by museum staff and project participants. For more information about Small Town Queer, visit museum.tweed.nsw.gov.au forward slash small hyphen town hyphen queer. Tweed Regional Museum is supported by the New South Wales Government through Create Funding New South Wales. This project would not have been possible without the support and collaboration of the people of Tweed who have generously shared their lived experiences, archives and objects with this project.